Hi, and welcome to another episode of From the Red Room. I'm Mitch Proctor, and tonight we got a little bit off track. We started a little early, we kept the recorder going, and we ended up with some pretty good stuff. Uh, for the first part of the evening, we got kicked off with some news that Joss Whedon was going to be directing a standalone Batgirl film, uh, which then gave birth to a whole diatribe concerning Suicide Squad and subsequent DC films. Uh, Charlie and Mike had a lot to say about it. So let's go ahead and hear what these guys had to say tonight, and we'll jump back in and let you know where else the conversation went. We can also talk about, like I was telling Mike, we talk about Joss Whedon's Batgirl. You know, again, I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it either. Really? You guys didn't know that Joss Whedon's directing a Batgirl movie? I no. Dude, that's changed, news. Changed side. That's absolutely news. Oh, wow. Yeah, he uh, crossed across the street because he was one of the chief architects of Marvel's cinematic business and now wow. he did the Avengers. Yeah. Right? Yeah, with both, that's, both the Avengers. Uh, that's a big that's a big deal. That's a big pretty big deal. DC. Maybe DC movies will start getting good now. That's messed up, man. DC movies are good just because they're not watered down and easily Every digestible. Now and then, I, you know? I, I, I yeah. wasn't saying that as a Marvel <laughs> rep. I was <laughs> just saying DC that in general. Are okay. DC they're, movies they could be better though. Well, some of could them be could better. Some, some of them. Some, some of them are great. I no, love no. Dark Knight. I love I the love, that, I love trilogy. that trilogy. That was a good trilogy. The Chris Nolan trilogy. and I love the original two with Michael Keaton. The first Those two were good. are great. Yes. Uh, are good. You know, I, I appreciate DC movies, but there are some that are kind of like, yeah, you like, know, yeah, I'll be there. honest. Suicide Squad. I've watched it three or four times now. It's not a good movie. <laughs> um, I want to like it more. But there are so many good parts. There are some parts that are good. The, the problem that I see with that particular movie, um, so if you compare it to, like, say, Guardians of the Galaxy, both teams are unknown to the populace at large. Okay, yeah. Uh, they have So we're talking about what's wrong with it as a product. As a product. Oh, okay. Uh, so Ooh, yeah. with, with Suicide Squad, what they should have done is the same formula that Marvel used with Guardians of the Galaxy. Marvel didn't Chris go Pratt. into. They should have got, got Chris Pratt. Pratt. Would, yeah. would he play Harley? Uh, he would be Harley. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to be the main character, Mr. Uh, J. <laughs> no, uh, what what they should have done was rather than try to give you a backstory for all of the characters. Oh, I, I'm with you. I think we had this conversation. They should yeah. have focused on the main story yeah. and in the context of the main story, given you some insight into the characters, which is what Marvel did with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So as you watch Guardians of the Galaxy, they don't give you a backstory on every single character. Star-Lord's the one they focus on mainly, but the rest of them they give you information as it co- as it seems to pop up in the flow of the storyline. And that's what that's what DC should have done with Suicide Squad. What did David Squad, what it, was it so hard to give you all this information? I don't know whether it was to make you like the characters or feel for the characters, but they did all this and I think it was too much and it took away from the main storyline. Plus, I think that like the new Guardians of the Galaxy suffered from the same thing Suicide Squad did with Mr. J popping up all the time, all over the place. I think that I didn't see the new the story one. Line. Are you spoiling yeah, it right spoilers now? Oh, spoilers. Spoilers. Alert, man. Have you seen we were talking about Suicide Charlie, did you see it? I saw it. Oh, you guys did see it? You yeah, we oh, saw well, then don't let me still, hold you guys back still, from the conversation. No, no, no. no I, I can't you got to like give that. You got to shout porch, out. Shady pool there, man. Just, Dirty pool. All I can say is the Sovereign. Okay. So can I comment on your Suicide Squad? Can I piggyback on that with a comment? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I want to mitigate some of those statements with a little measure uh, from my perspective. I think you're right about there are too many backstories, but I think it's because there were too many characters. 
uh, i.e. they didn't need the guy that they killed the first 10 minutes out that had yeah. a, had a well, bat, had a bat claw or yeah. whatever <laughs> and uh, stole Batman's utility belt apparently yeah. uh, and they didn't need Captain fucking Boomerang give me a goddamn break <laughs> that's a terrible name and he's ridiculous no, and he served Captain no Boomerang purpose Boomerang is a ridiculous character but he is so, traditionally part of the Suicide Squad well you know what well, they didn't do everything what, what traditionally though yeah well, well they could have taken some selective measure. Why didn't they kill him? You know, I mean, or wait for the yeah. sequel. My, here, if my, they needed to have him at, for traditional. My sake. thoughts are Will Smith does a good job. He, he's got a good role, good character. They ruined the Joker, in my opinion. And I don't know how much of that I blame on Jared Leto as much as I blame maybe the director's choices. There's a lot of stuff in the movie where I feel like the person funding it or the person directing it isn't really trying to be as loyal to the source material and as they are trying to appeal to uh, everybody under 25 that ever played Arkham on <laughs> Xbox. And it's and that's a tough grab for me, particularly because I like the comic, you know, the comics presented it differently, a little darker, a little more meaty. And and if you watch the animated series in the 90s, they did a better job of delivering on exactly what kind of what was going on in the psychotic heads of Harley and the Joker. And in this movie, somehow Harley and the Joker are these two star-crossed lovers dreaming <laughs> of being normally complected and having a child in the baby seat and he's on his way to do something in a suit and well, they, that I mean was, that's so betraying of the characters. They they at were the core of them, yes. That's that, I mean that that about. is such a domestic thing and that that's the kind of thing where if they're being loyal to the source material, that wouldn't be there. If they're trying to appeal to people who don't couldn't really deal with that, you know, like when she gets upset about him murdering kids and she's like crying and owning it. I don't I, I don't think Harley, the real Harley wouldn't give a shit about it. You know, I don't think dragons don't behave like because they don't behave like that. Yeah. You know, crazy, you know, crazy <laughs> Harley Quinn people don't, don't do that. Harley Quinn might. And that the only reason why I say that is I there is a storyline. Okay. I don't recall. I don't recall exactly. But you just finished talking about how obscure they are to people. Well, some characters are obscure to people. Harley Quinn took on a different role in um, conjunction with the the vision that she has of him right. without makeup well, and her without makeup. Is, as and far as kids go, apparently there was a storyline where Harley Quinn had a kid, and it was Mr. J's, and she hid. I the child. got all of he, that from Suicide Squad. No, no, she <laughs> hid the she hid the child from the Joker. None of that is this in comics or is this in like one this of the animated the series? No, this is this was in the comics apparently. Okay. My um, my point being though is when you have them doing the the same thing X Men the early X Men movies did or any movie where you've got bad guy shooting bad beam and good guy shooting good beam often blue versus red or some sort of orange or, you know like and I remember the X Men movie it was fire guy versus ice douche right <laughs> and that and they have that little beam tug of war going on they've jumped the shark it's over it's a trope they don't give a shit about the source material it's just they're gonna do the same trope and that that's where i check out you know they did that a few times in that Can I be devil's advocate real quick about like source material let's, sure. let's talk about that because everyone's always very concerned and i'm not again devil's advocate here about being true to source material, but when you're talking about source material, true-ish, true-ish. Okay, I'd say okay. true-ish. I don't know. I don't. I'm more, I mean more true-ish. To me, they went a little. They went so far, far that I'm made. They far. made somebody like me talk about the source material. <laughs> you well, know, because the source material like, is always changing. I mean, like there's no 
core, like solid forever in tuned in stone Batman origin. That stuff kind of like waffles Well, I guess what I'm saying, though, is with Harley the and the Joker, those are those new characters. characters in a sense. That's a new thing that people hadn't really they I mean they've got they've borrowed things uh-huh. the look you know certain attributes but Whoa. they really came across to me like this version of the guy like it was another dimension We're from scratch well, right they started with, and they started from Earth scratch 78 with Joker but Harley Quinn she's she's gone through very she's gone through a few different iterations of she the has. character in the comic book source material you know, it started but out she, in the, the 90s. comic is not the source material. Right, it's not the animated in series the, is the source material. I was going to say material. in the nineties, she started yeah. it in the in the in the the uh, animated series. Mm-hmm. Later, crossed over to the comics, and in the comics, she's taken on a couple different roles, and they've done a few different things with her. I mean, oh, as yeah, I, they've done some different. Things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now she's a lesbian, and she's in love with Poison Ivy. Oh, is that like actually? That's part of the like the mythos. They're not now. even playing it down. They're, they're it's not straight straight but playing it down. They're but do they up. ever play her as? Yearning to be domestic. I've never seen. There's only well. Okay, I mean so that's that's really line, what I'm referencing yeah. is that in the movie they make they make her and the Joker seem like they have a very strong pull to want to be you know a good you know, really Judeo Christian like domesticated like American. They only make it look as though she wants that because that's when what she has that little. Dream. Well, I, I, I dream. disagree. He goes and there are times in the animated series where clearly the Joker was willing to sacrifice Harley as long as it would accomplish his goals. Oh, absolutely. in the animated series, absolutely. And, it, and in yes. the in the movie, he can't do that. In the movie, he keeps coming back into the movie specifically to try to get her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but is he doing that because he wants a life? With like children and the picket fence, they might or is he a little doing that? Little hearts is on his he doing eyes, that man. because he sees her as something that he owns? <laughs> no, or something that belongs to him? Are no. you making Somebody an argument now for Suicide Squad? No, his behavior is completely out of line with with again source material. Fine, they're inventing a whole new thing. I'm just saying, I'm just playing devil's advocate, saying that the Joker is not necessarily after that life that Charlie has indicated. I'm just saying that perhaps the Joker he's after the looking, love of his life. No, I he's, he's after the love of his life. He's in after that movie. a possession. No, is he's the, after Bonnie and Clyde. No, is he after yeah, like that? Bonnie maybe and not. Clyde. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe he I don't want the like idyllic a, life. Right? Not, no idyllic life, just a okay. team together causing chaos. What she's clearly wants, we agree on. Well, right. I, I, fair enough. Wants, if you want to catch me on misspeaking about the Joker, I can't say he definitely wants a domesticated life. What I can say is he's got a love-filled heart on for Harley that makes him want to brave, you know, every single dangerous thing. When I think the real Joker would have been like, "Ain't worth it. I'm going moving See ya. on," mm-hmm. and he would have laughed his way yeah. away well, yeah, without if it worrying was, if about it. It was the it. 1990s animated series. Yeah, Joker would have just left her and gone on. About well, but sort of this is, but so this comes back to a point where I would suggest that the different versions of the Joker had certain core realities about the so, like when I say source material, they're talking about somebody that's crazy, that's psychotic, and every character has been portrayed that way even if it's different renditions. The common trait between Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger is that deep inside that brain, they don't give a fuck about anybody but themselves and they're, they're whatever they want to deal with. And that's the way Heath Ledger says about his whole, I'm like a dog chasing a car. I don't even know yeah. what I'd do if I caught it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, So I think that, that this is sort of such a step out of somebody who's psychotic. You know, This is pulling at the heartstrings and the Joker is like some sort of super pimp that that's running the streets, you know, but he's not 
you know, he's not necessarily uh, crazy. He's well, see, he's willing like... to do crazy things, but he's not screw loose. We don't know what to expect from this guy crazy. Right. It almost like they assume that the thing you wouldn't expect was that he was in love. You know, and it's like that sounds on. like a trope right there. That, that sounded like an advertisement and... for the movie. But right. that's I mean, what it, it seems like, Mr. like. Movie phone, right? Well, but that's, that's, that's what it probably, seemed like to that's me. That's probably what, what they were going expect. for from the movie studios. Is they're like, we need to give people a hook, <laughs> something to relate to, some way to see this psycho as a person, what? so that they can re- they can like like feel something for him. So that they, they want to come and see the movie. They like oh. the characters. I think uh, it boils that, down. That's a trope in itself. To me, it boils down to DC doesn't have their own studio. Well, yes. If DC had its own studio, they, were in they, control would, of their they would have some leverage yeah. mm-hmm. to be like, look, we know what you're trying to do, and it's corny as shit. You got you to gotta crazy up Leto a little bit. You know, you can't. You know, it, let, Leto, like uh, the Joker seems like the kind of person that would almost be willing to blow everybody up, and then Harley lives and is pissed, and he's like, I would never want to kill you, sweetheart. Of course. <laughs> well, in, in the comics, in a lot of the source material, he's done stuff like that. Well, that, well, that's, I mean, there should like, be some like evidence of that in the show, though. He apologizes just to get her back, and he doesn't really care. Like, he boots her into the big vat, the Acme nod vat. And but, then, you like, know? kind of, like, right. shrugs. He's like, all right. Oh, God. Oh, shucks. Mm-hmm. I guess I love her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take a leap of faith. So going back to the comic that I was referring to where Harley Quinn had a child. So in that particular comic, and I don't remember who she's speaking to at the time, but she tells somebody that, yes, she had a child. Yeah. It belonged to the Joker. She hid the child away because she didn't want him influencing the child. Like Luke and Leia. And she was gone for a year, out of Mr. J's life for a year. And he didn't even realize she was gone. <laughs> so that's in, that, in the comic, that's what she talks about. Okay. So, so I, I could see you, I could you're see, right. You're right. You know, the Joker, he'd go on about his business. That's the stuff that when I watch it pulls me out of that moment of thinking this is because there are moments that are cool. Mm-hmm. But they I think that them trying to inject a little too much Joker in there was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and I thought Captain Boomerang and the guy who stole Batman's utility belt. That the both those guys didn't really need to be in it. They could this could have been a, they already plan on it being a series. It, well, they could have interviewed well, those plus dudes. The, uh, and, you know. Gotham City Sirens. That's what. Right. They, right. Are they actually doing a Suicide Squad part two, or are they just decided to abandon that and just do the sirens? I don't know. I would. It doesn't <clears throat> seem like they have a lot of reason not to do a Suicide Squad two. Yeah, they made enough Other money. Other than the fact yeah. the first one, like everybody hates it, but they still well, want everybody watch hates it. Well, no, but you know what's I've, funny I've is like, we're talking about like times. a studio that keeps getting criticized for being too dark, mm-hmm. but in that instance, you're saying they didn't go dark enough. With the Joker. They didn't make him quite sociopathic enough. They didn't make him quite maniacal. He was just like, oh, he's this guy who does bad stuff. Well, and it's important. Like, I think a good bad guy, even when he's just absolutely out of his gourd, they always have some grounding line to him, you know, that makes it enjoyable. And you can see it. And that's always a great way to present a guy like that. And I like a friend. Anybody remember the movie Raising Arizona? Yeah. Yeah. The biker having his biker. baby shoes and the teddy bear just makes <laughs> it grounds the guy and it makes you ask a question you never get answered. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And same thing with the Joker when when the button doesn't work and he you know, it's a moment of sort of comedy. You know, there are moments clearly where things aren't going the right way. Hans Landa having, you know, in in the Glorious Bastards, you know, his his giggly, playful way and in his awkwardness. You know, juxtaposition all his like amazing lines in that movie. Those are cool characters, and and with Leto, they just kind of have this 
it's almost like uh, the same thing you get with a guy who dresses up in a Santa outfit and just just hams it up so much. You're like, okay, I get it. Ho, ho, ho. Shut up. Ho, ho. Yeah, stop. You know, he lost it, me with the Santa. Well, you know what I'm saying? He's in character, but he's not. He right. doesn't really care about doing much other than having just the green the hair and the laugh. He's not and, really like... I, but, I mean, I could still buy that she would want to not be crazy, but she's willing to be crazy because of Mr. J. Right. And Mr. J, to me, doesn't need to be this love-struck hero. Because, in, in that's, I mean, it, they might as well play that song every time he shows up. Like, when the helicopter's coming up, it's like, I can be your hero, baby. You know? <laughs> and then the Gatling gun goes off. It's like every time he shows up, that song should I just think, kick I, in, you know? They, they only could have done that if they had Billy Owen there playing the Joker instead of Jared Leto. I'm just, then, I'm just saying that. that I just want to hear Charlie sing it now. I, just, <laughs> I mean, just but I'm just bring, saying bring that, that, is, that is how I feel like. I feel tingly in my pants. Yeah. <laughs> But w I mean, that's how it seems, especially the way they film it. You can put different music to those scenes <laughs> mm -hmm. where she steps up on that little raised platform and like throws her gun aside and she's just like yeah. smitten, man. Right. It's right. like that scene in 16 Candles where she realizes he's out in front of her house and shit. She just looks at him like, I love you. You're the one. <laughs> You guys are really tearing down my my universe here. Well, it's not the universe we're tearing like, down. No, no, no. You're shattering like all my illusions because I'll be honest. I just shut that stuff out. And I'm just like, I'm so <laughs> it's just glad. nice to see it yeah, on the I'm screen. I'm so glad to see it on the screen. I never I, I knew know. this would happen. That's I'm why I so take lucky. pleasure from it. But it's the director I blame. I, okay. I really do. And it, it who directed it? Was it David Ayer? I have no idea, but he's a jackass. Apparently, <laughs> I'm he's convinced not. he's oh, clearly a jackass. A polar bear with lasers. Mike gets excited. I, know, he's he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I get excited. Dude, I get, you're, you know what you're missing? You missed your calling. You should have been a WWE fucking pro. <laughs> I, I could have been. <laughs> this is Mike, and I'm going to bring the smackdown. Let me tell you, brother. Let me tell you, brother. Tonight on Mitch's show, we're going to drag down some comic books. Kevin, Kevin Smith was just raw. We're going to turn apart DC. That's we're going right. to tell you how Marvel's better in I every single way. You sound like Alex Jones. Jones. You all, we all sound like Alex Jones. No. But, <laughs> I don't even know who so, Alex so Jones the way, is. So the way this all broke down. So what this tells us is producer has so much sway over everything that happens. Yeah. He forces them to write in their polar bears protecting the fortress of solitude with lasers. Is this the same guy that wanted the giant spider? Yes. 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 Yeah. And, and that ended up in Wild Wild West. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's it's, ridiculous. it's a little bit in Man of Steel. Like the, the yeah, world, it yeah, is. The world well, and that's whatever world, that is. That's like very spider. That's what I'm saying. The ideas you can see some of those ideas that are in this documentary that so, come up in those later oh, movies. So man. going back to what Charlie said about Marvel having their own studio and being a little more truthful to the material, I think that plays out in things like the Suicide Squad and even Superman versus Batman where, you know, I, I hate I, I hate it and I love it, but I hate it because, you, sound you know, like, you Doomsday, sound like upset, Doomsday, I am upset. Mike, Doomsday Mike, looks like a Mike. cave troll yeah, from like Lord of the Rings, and I hate that. I'm Mike, like, why would you do just, this Just tell us to Doomsday? The, tell us where the cave troll touched you. Are you okay? Let me, get you, let me get you the doll. You show us on the doll where the cave troll touched you. I want you to call. You're in a safe space, Mike. It's true. It's you're in a safe space, Mike. So, so what if what if what if Doomsday was like a what you know, like if he were to touch really him, where does would he touch you? Yeah, over talking like, Mitch. All of these. He doesn't want to answer my question. No, I really don't. All of these executives do play a major role in ruining these films. Oh, really? And so the fact that did you just say Mitch plays a major role in ruining these films? No, I said Charlie plays a major role in ruining these films. 
Well, that's true. He falls asleep in the middle of the movie. Doomsday does? I do. Charlie does. I no. do. In the middle it, of DC films? Often. I lost the train of conversation. Yeah, I, Mike's grasping it, making Look, me feel bad. Like I, 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 I can't distance myself enough because I, I, I really enjoyed Man of Steel. I know a lot of people. I enjoyed Man of Steel. I, I really did. Batman vs Superman. I like again. There were problems with those movies. They're imperfect. Mm. They are. I don't care. I I'm don't not care. trying. It sounds like I'm saying they need to be perfect. They don't need to be perfect. No. But I, I know that that's not what you're saying. And, and no, I get it. There's no, a scale. They're getting ter- torn apart constantly, and like it seems like the uh, <coughs> gauge for success or quality at this point becomes: was it universally loved like the first Avengers movie? Like uh, I, I don't have the analog for it, but. Yeah, it's just some of the. It's, you it's know okay. It's okay comic, to make an imperfect movie. It's all as right. As a comic book fan, I love this time. You like comic books? Right? These movies. These movies are phenomenal. I don't think Mike's read a comic book in his life. That's true. I don't, know if I I don't have any in my closet at home. Yeah, no, in your closet. Why wow. you They're right on my shelf, oh. right out there. Mike, you know you can. What's come your out of favorite the graphic novel of all time? Favorite graphic novel of yeah. all time? Yeah. Single book, like we get like a like a compendium, whatever. Just right. Single graphic novel. Um, man, I have it, and I. For some Bail. reason, I can't think Charlie. of uh, the title. It's a Batman title, though, believe it or not, where it was painted, and uh, Dave McKean was one of the uh, the creators of it, and it told a story where Batman gets lured into Arkham Asylum. The inmates have taken over. The Joker is threatening to poke out this girl's eyes with a pencil, and when Batman gets in there, he hasn't. And the whole thing is, is that all the Joker wants is for Batman to sit down with a psychologist <laughs> and be analyzed the way that the inmates have been analyzed. It was an intervention. That's awesome. It's That's trying to help. It's an like intervention. It's trying and to help. It's That's a committed too, friend. Because in this particular story, and really? I think it might actually be called Arkham Asylum, uh, it gives you the anything. history of Arkham Asylum and tells you about the, the, the man who created That's it. love, man. was originally done. He had a wife and daughter. He originally was uh, trying to help the criminally insane, and one of the patients he was helping escaped one day, and when he got home, his wife and daughter were murdered. And you're talking about a Joker origin story. Is it's not even. It's not a Joker origin story. No, okay. it's like an origin story. <laughs> of, of Are you just breaking this up. You saw the news or something, man. <laughs> and it was. Uh, I think it was called Batman. Live Arkham at Asylum. five. But uh, yeah, so this doctor who founded Arkham Asylum, at one point, and it's the, I love the artwork in it. I love the storyline. And at one point, he it talks about him. He wonders casually where his daughter's head is, and he looks over at the dollhouse and sees his daughter <clears> staring <throat> back at him. Because her head had been severed from her body and was in the dollhouse with her face like looking out through the That's window. That's dark. It was pretty dark, dark, but that was probably one of my favorite uh, my favorite uh, graphic novel right there. Yes, and if you'd like to see Mike, he'll be at your local <laughs> Presbyterian church giving speeches about life goals. <laughs> um, yeah. No, my favorite graphic yeah, novels would be um, <laughs> probably a tie between Watchmen and Akira. Nice. I've never I've never read Akira as a graphic novel. Did it originate as a graphic novel? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, my yeah. my anime knowledge is lacking. Um, well, manga. You know, sorry, is that what it? Well, what you know, I, there was a there was a bubble of time that I was seeking out things that had made it here in animation form that became different shows. Sure. And that was sort of a thing through the 70s and 80s. They would take several different shows and they would re-edit them and re voice act them into one cohesive show. So like our Robotech was a couple of different Macross sagas and then another show yes. that yeah. they tied together and it and made it work, right? 
And before that, in the 70s, there was a show called Star Blazers that was awesome and incredible. And it was um, in Japanese version of it was Space Battleship Yamamoto or something like that. (laughs) And it was it was I was just really into it as a kid. And it was the first animated show I ever saw somebody die in the show, which was really, un, you know, speed. Nobody in Speed Racers universe got the axe. You know, so and then we're talking like 1980, right? If Papa Smurf would have gotten fucking killed, kids would have been asking questions, you know, (laughs) and and, uh, you know, nobody, nobody's skin to Care Bear. Oh, I was already asking questions because of Smurfette. Oh, (laughs) I was already asking. It was the heels. (laughs) No, but did you want to Smurf her like she's later on in the evening? We got to talking about anime, some of the most influential pieces we'd ever seen, and some of our favorites. Let's see how that went. And then um, 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 Akira. Yeah. Well, and see, awesome. yeah. I loved the Watchmen movie. I thought that was fantastic. And it was Why pretty, did it get slammed was, so hardcore? You know what? I I'm not a big fan. I don't understand. Well, who, who did that? Uh, it was actually Snyder, right? The guy who did yeah, I think his so. latest Snyder. Like, Batman. Yeah, I don't think it was very well received. The Watchmen movie was pretty yeah. true to the Watchmen uh, It was. I think it's very the whole close. thing. You can't please everyone, man. If you're too no. close to the original material, they're like, oh, it's dark. It's, it's not digestible by the common man. But that was and then the if you comic, stray. Oh no, I I agree. It was it was they did a great job, but I'm just saying. But that people you can't were win, really and that guy can't win. They were unfamiliar no. with with what it was with what the character with the story or the characters were. They were unfamiliar think, with think Galaxy, about the time it came uh, out too. Guardians too. Right. Well, they were, but you know. but to be fair, if you're gonna let's say that's a great fair comparison, let's just talk about that for a second though. Okay. Guardians of the Galaxy, they made clear choices, and and the material was was just designed. To appeal to to a broad the, like the yeah I mean straight That's from the so interesting. straight from the music choices in the yeah. movie right yeah. Yeah. whereas and and also Guardians of the Galaxy as enjoyable as it is they're not trying to they're not trying to uh, like deliver a deep existential message oh, you know no. there, there's so you know it's it's more enjoyable it's a fun film there's enough kitsch there is a lesson in there that's really they deliver home with. Things that are meant to pull at the heartstrings, and uh, with Watchmen, it was more like, uh, y- you know, like people medicine. people were unfamiliar with the character of the story. They didn't know what to expect, and when you see a guy in a cape, or many people like that, you're not expecting a deep, brooding message out of it all. Well, I you think know? the general populace expects Superman. Now, Mitch, you and I were talking about Superman and how he's a big Boy Scout and he's this ex- shining example of what people could be. I don't want to talk about Superman. No, no, no. So I, I, what, uh, what I was going to say is I think that's what people were expecting. Mike likes expanding on the material. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, they went. They So people go to the Watchmen movie expecting to see something like that. And what they get is something entirely different. They get these characters who are flawed in many different ways, <laughs> you know. Uh, real characters, real. Well, yeah, Rorschach yeah. in in the comic books, like he re- he was raised by a mother who was essentially a whore. You know, she was with a different man well, at night. Okay. He listened well, to it like as a child growing up. You know, the comic was dark. <laughs> that comic, Just in, <laughs> that comic when it came out, and Batman: The Dark Knight when that came out. Those two comics, in my opinion, are what really changed comics. I think Mike's definitely Marvel guy, but he likes DC. He I likes do. a lot of comics. I That's I awesome. Just like all around comics. But when you got to draw, draw a line, when you got to pick a side, I know you follow. What about Prima? No Prima, no Prima fans here. Some, some um, what Top Cow? Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have, you remember there were these little McFarland little logo, Spawn. little little smaller comic book companies that yeah. would, you know, they had the comics like Profit. 
which was a terrible character. That was a terrible character. It was. But or, 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 so you guys the, are like Creech. You know, oh, the was a terrible character. Again, that, but these were some of those. But what about what about Pitt? The obvious, yeah. obvious Wolverine, uh, Hulk <laughs> ripoff, an grifter, alien, alien from space. That the had grifter like, had like long old claws that would come out of his fingernails and stuff. The grifter was a Deadpool you rip. Know what? He was straight up Deadpool. I, rip. Okay, I liked Grifter. I liked Grifter, I liked a, grifter lot, a lot, but and Zealot, but I liked Zealot. Deadpool rip. Tell me it wasn't a Deadpool rip. I don't rip. know if he was a Come Deadpool on. rip. Come on, man. He, I don't know. He, he even had red. His shit was even red, man. No, no, they no. put only a coat on mask, a red suit. Only his mask, and then he wore a green like. Uh, like you're right. Coat. It was an original material. He was very original. It was very original. Very original. Guns. I am so yeah. pleased to be sitting at a table with such yeah. nerds. So, <laughs> I'm so, no, I'm so happy about, right now. You want to talk guys. about ultimate rip off? So, uh, <laughs> Wildcats. Oh they yeah. Had, they had the guy that had the Thundercats. The no, no Wildcats. I saw that Thundercats. They had Silverhawks. The guy that had the long claws oh, that would come out. G Force. What about G Force, man? Uh, Mark <laughs> That's another one I used to watch. With guys that had like bird capes and like their helmets had a bird beak, and they were I all four. Oh, that sounds familiar. They were all different birds. And they would go flying around and shit, and then they would save people. You know, oh yeah, yeah. Remember, and yeah, the, and, and they had the fat dude yeah. was the owl. The that that was so owl. funny. Like the fat dude was a big brown owl. He yeah. was the most lame ass oh. guy. They always had one fat American dude with a beard. You're the owl. Or you're gonna drive that funky ass jeep everywhere behind me. The only cool, uh, the only cool rendition of those characters I've ever seen was Alex Ross did a comic with them and he is a phenomenal artist oh he, no Alex Ross's work is, is really he incredible. did a Wolverine yeah, he did a Wolverine I love he did like he did uh, Marvel's he has Marvel no, comics, yeah, he did a great Wolverine yeah he, he does some fantastic he looks all artwork. savage and he's wearing a jeans with a belt that has a buckle that says American Beauty that's <laughs> <laughs> great it's just awesome. a great image yeah America yeah. In fact, they bought. They had. Yeah, they had the whole classic. Well, now, I think yeah. we went to two Mitch bl- to two snicks around a guy's head. <laughs> like he's got a lady. Like, he's controlling the middle one. I so, what, what yeah. is your favorite uh, graphic novel? You, you shouldn't even I have totally, to ask. I dare you to even just take take a guess. Take a man, guess. Mike Let's think about it. Really. Well, because you, because you're uh, right. So like, well. he, like that. he did a good job. I he believed did. it for a second. I bought I into it. I was going to tell him. I, I was going to get for a minute. I was like, "That's nice of you, man." Oh, thanks for bringing it back. Yeah, no problem. Right on. Because I love you, man. Oh, I love you. He's a huge DC fan, so you're already off to the wrong place. No, I am oh, a DC fan. Really? I don't know how to like really. I don't know why, and I'm sorry. I just I, and I like the DC movies, and that makes me like. I want to talk about Marvel and and mass consumption and everyone except you know, we've had that conversation okay. a lot. Mm-hmm. Like okay, yes. uh, mediocrity discussion. Okay. Uh, the Crow. The Crow is my single oh, most favorite. And that's know. great. Good choice. Yeah, that's nice choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's going to be at Tucson Comic Con nice this year. Choice. Nice choice. Um, and then my second favorite would be Kingdom Come. Oh, yes. Wow. Kingdom Come. Yeah. Is Those are my two great. favorites. And then Dark Knight, that's really awesome. close to Kingdom Come. Have you ever read uh, The Nail? No. Um, that one was phenomenal. It was an Elseworlds tale in DC Universe where Superman <laughs> did not get adopted by uh, Martha and Car- Clark, uh, uh-huh. Martha Kent. He was raised by a different family, and nobody knew he even existed. And so the populace did not know what to make of all these superheroes. God. And it was I like DC because Superman was adopted, and so was I. (laughs) 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 And and, and, and Batman Batman didn't didn't have a family. But you see, on the flip side, I could not have had a family. (laughs) So there you go. That's why. That's great. I absolutely I th- love I thought that. you were going to tell us you fell into a cave when you were a kid. I did fall in a cave once. Did you? No. There were bats. Yeah, there were bats. So many bats. <laughs> oh, Do you have a utility I love bats. 
Before no, but I did have a Batman Superman reversible cape my mommy made me. Yes. You know what? I had, I had, I had one too. I won't even lie. I had one too. <laughs> Maybe we, they got it from the same like Mormon uh, patterns collection where you like They must have. Capes. My mother sewed it for me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, first Superman movie convinced me that I might be able to fly. Uh, I tucked the towel into my shirt and went to the top of the stairs, took Uh-oh. a running start and left with everything I had and pans out in front of me and hit a bunch of steps with my face. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, well, now we have an explanation. Uh, it's all there. It all, makes <laughs> it all sense. explains it all makes so sense. much. It all makes sense. All yeah, right. No, but you know, right. I just, uh, I remember those movies. I remember the first woman I ever thought what, like as a boy was like pretty was the, oh, really? the, the woman from the second Superman with Christopher Reeve, the yeah. bat, the one of the tri- one of the triple, oh, with the yeah, short black well, hair yeah, and all yeah. like oh, yeah, the yeah. patent leather outfit. Yes, yes. I, I mean it's mm-hmm. it, th- so right around that time I was like becoming aware that I liked goth women. Pale. Journey, Journey mm-hmm. into Manhood. Oh yeah, Charlie. Well, and like Legend, the movie Legend with Tom Dude, Cruise. Dude, Mia Sarah. Yes, Mia Sarah. When oh she's in God. that, especially yes. when she gets like flipped over by Tim Curry's cool ass looking yes. dark side. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, darkness. But she's all darkness, dark. Excuse me. She's all if I could ever cosplay something, if I could oh, be darkness, if I could pull oh that God. off, that'd be awesome. It would, that would but you be could awesome. never half-ass that. No, I, no, that character was the most well. Uh, fleshed out devil I'd ever seen to this day yeah. maybe still the voice the way Tim Curry pulls it off it's phenomenal uh, and, and phenomenal. it was just a beautiful bit and Nia Sarah was just like my heart throb yes. <laughs> by the way if you yes. google the image of that woman now she's mm-hmm. gorgeous is she oh, like she's modern, gorgeous modern I might have to check her out like current the current yes. woman is just beautiful well I loved her in legend and I think that carried over to Ferris Bueller's Day Off what her beauty, yeah, yeah, just, no shit. I, I love her in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Everybody um, loves her in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I didn't care for her in certain Ferris Bueller's. Really? You didn't uh, think no, she was no. pretty? No, I, I didn't think she was unpretty, but she made no impact. Legend. She made an impact on my pants. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I don't, e- I don't even know if that's really true, but it yeah. felt so right to say at that moment. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and Jennifer yeah. Connelly. Back in the day, in Labyrinth, I think that was. And see, when we I were age appropriate love. for that, though. Yeah, that'd we be okay age, to, to we love her. Appropriate, and that time. was when I fell in okay. love with her. I fell in love with her when she was riding Bowie that horse that, at Target. Like, I was actually yes. <laughs> career, career opportunities. Career opportunities. Career opportunities. I was a, I was uh, more of a burgeoning teen at that point. Um, that burgeoning. Was burgeoning. Nice yes. word choice, vocab um, man. So that yes, that carried over from Labyrinth to Career Opportunities. I, I love <laughs> terrible movie, terrible movie, but I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it holds a special place Kingdom in my heart. Come, I like that. I like the crow, <sighs> the imagery in the crow, the drawing style in the crow is pretty specific. You you it fake like it's like sincerity and interest almost as good as Mike about like the br- crow. No, bringing it back to the crow there after oh. Mike's talking. <laughs> about <the laughs> well, I wanted to, but wanted to hear you talk more. Really, is what <laughs> it came down to. No, yeah. well, so let's let's pick a new topic. Let's. You said we're gonna wrap that up in five minutes. Well, sure, but yeah, well, no, we was, can talk. With, yeah, whatever you say. No, not whatever I say. Yeah, I don't. I didn't know if we wanted think, to keep I talking think about he's comics. Right, though, the artwork and what? stuff. That was one of the things that have always attracted me <clears> to comics. I don't know Kingdom Come. I don't know what. Oh really? Oh Kingdom Come. Alex Ross painted it. Okay, I don't. I'm not familiar with that. Oh, the book you got to read that one for sure. I've got it. I've got it. I'll loan it to you. Absolutely. It's yeah, it's beautiful and it's incredible. Story. Yeah, see, I like the artwork. I, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not yeah. particularly like huge. I like Alex Ross' work. I'm not, but I'm not like, oh yeah, 
but Macho Man. Sorry, I got a little Macho yeah, Man. Macho, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it's really good. The story more than anything, just well, the impact of these aging superheroes and things. Was oh, cool. yeah, it's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, that one of the things I loved about that uh, like graphic that novel I told you superhero. about was uh, Arkham Asylum. Was that Dave McKean did the artwork, and I loved the art, the painted artwork in that. What if Superman was adopted by Superman a child molester? Oh, that was weird. <laughs> What kind of man would show up? Well, it wouldn't last Jeffrey, very long. Jeffrey it wouldn't, that wouldn't be very much of a, of a Superman, story. Jeffrey Dahmer as Superman. That was that's what I'm, I'm just saying. no. I'm just imagining like the like Superman's adopted by the child molester. The child molester gets like one good go at Superman, and then the next time, uh, Superman's like, I don't like that in my face, and that's well, the end not of the as story. a child, not as a baby. You know what? Though? As a baby, if if mentally that child is in a place where they feel be fear. It's about the psychology of it. I okay. mean, I say child molester because it's extreme, but basically what I mean is like an, an abusive, an father. abusive, yeah. uh, you know, what that that's a good way to explore that character, because really the only flaw he ever presents is in his head, in his own perception. And they started to kind of go into that with some of the the with the Man of Steel movie. You know how he's, you know, especially when he there's several points where he looks like a brooding grunge guy, you know, but I think and I like that, by the way, I like that. I like that they okay. went there. But I'm just saying if if you put him as a child where he's reared from a young age to be submissive, to be uh, in an abusive situation and then the torment and the anger that would come from him as a adolescent. And if he did fight back. And leave it this way. What if his discovery of that power that he has came when he finally decided to retaliate to defend himself and he just throws a punch and like explodes the guy, the guy that's abusing him? And like, what would that hero be like? What kind of what kind of places would that kid go? So you're saying that you still want to take the story in the direction that he does become a hero? I would think so. Okay. But but the, to get to that point. And the kind of way, the way that it would skew the way he interpreted what was going on around him, even his relationships with women. <clears throat> Actually, if you watch the uh, the movie uh, Flash, um, Flashpoint. Flash Gordon. No, they do a, a storyline similar to that with Flashpoint, where Flash. Oh, where he's a uh, where he's a uh, basically uh, a test subject. The yeah, government captures a, him. And the government captures yeah, him at a young yeah, age. You're right. And he is knows nothing about being outside. He's locked away. He has no They've contact. deprived him from the yellow sun. He's right, just, yeah. right. And then when the Flash breaks him out, you know, he finds that he has powers. He unbeknownst to him, he's weak, like he's never been before because he's never okay. been exposed to sun and absorbed yeah. all the radiation. He is almost, he's emaciated. You know, he's he's thin. Mm -hmm. um, and Thanks. he does yeah. present I, that. I, character it wasn't an original abused. idea by me. Yeah, it was um, just true. kind of a what yeah. if. So know, I mean, I that's kind of what you're what you're looking at right there. I was wondering out loud, Mike. You don't have to put me in my place. I get it. Sorry, yeah. it's so easy to do sometimes. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm not thinking. But that was actually special. a good storyline too. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good. So. I like Flashpoint. Yeah, that was very good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was where I was going with it, but I I wasted everybody's time. <laughs> Read Flashpoint. Yes, yes. No, no, you didn't because you, there's not the psychological element quite there. I like it, like in your story. 
You yeah. both have good stories. No, I, w- I kind of want uh, I want a uh, Buffalo Bill version of Superman that's telling somebody to you know put the lotion on no. its skin. You know? <laughs> I don't want that I want Superman. that Superman. I, I do. I do like the idea of these variety these uh, variations on on heroes. The like Red Sun. Wouldn't you love to see Superman like dancing in front of a mirror? Yeah, I would. In his I super suit, Superman. he's I'd, like, you bet. I'd fuck. Actually, it's super birthday sounds, suit. This sounds like something that I'd you fuck want. Me so hard. He could only fuck himself. Unless he had a kryptonite condom. <laughs> He's listening to Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus. Uh, yeah. you know? I'm crying. He's really starting to scare me with yeah. this, this image yeah. he has of Superman. It's the angel eyes. It's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Is that where it went? Yeah. <laughs> it went to a dark and twisty place. Yes. Really well, quick. went way backwards. This whole <laughs> evening went backwards from start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just think it would be I, – I like when they take that kind of approach. I think that – I mean, to a, obviously I'm being dramatic about the suggestion, right, right. but – uh, you know, movies like I thought Logan. I'm not going to talk about what happened in Logan because I think you should see You've the movie. Who hasn't seen Logan? Mitch Maybe is, somebody Mitch listening. Seen I've seen Logan. Oh, yeah, that's Maybe fair. But spoilers: listening. Logan is being talked about now. Uh, tune out and then tune back in. Yeah. What? I want to yeah. hear what you yeah, have to say pause. about Logan because that shit was phenomenal. Well, it and was. But once once more, Marvel showing that they can do dark and right. still be a better cinematic experience than what DC's been doing and represent the humanity of these amazing characters. And they do go to some of these twisted places and they Mm -hmm. do. So taking it there and I think is something that reaches into your average person's chest and, and makes them care about what's going on. And I think that's, you know, if I think ultimately it brings everything to kind of a global point, where if you're talking about any movie, maybe what we mean when we say it's not authentic or it's not being true to the source, <laughs> it's more that what we're saying is I think everybody kind of wants to see what makes those characters have gravity, what their what their humanity is. And I mean, you know, as far as their vulnerability, well, I don't that's one reason why I love the crow. So. That's right, one of the things that right. makes, for me, one of the greatest stories. I think everybody did for that reason. So old, it could be so argued solid. that everybody liked it for that reason. The Crow? The movie. The oh. presentation of the story. Is, okay. is, you know. Why? Because it's grounded like that. Yeah. That it fleshes out a, a somebody that's tormented. I think tormented is a good thing to explore with characters. <laughs> tormented well, no, is a good thing. We actually well, here at the Red Room support <laughs> Torment and all of its subsidiary uh, offices. Well, I really sure. would like to hear Mitch because I know you say you're a fan of the crow and everything, and I, I want to know what exactly it was that drew you. to Because your I love love. You love love. I love love. I'm a he softie. He love is love. Yeah, yeah, you guys know. I'm, I love love and I love revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I especially love revenge. In the damn vengeance <laughs> or revenge. I mean, I know they're synonyms to some degree, but there has to be some. We have to look up the definition. Oh really? Let's let's talk about that. Because well, I think I mean, vengeance sounds so much more vengeance, doesn't it? It's got a little bit more. It's of got a, it's a little got more a little formality, more. does it not? Does it formality? Uh, I think re- it's had revenge. Teeth. There's teeth. The, to vengeance. You, you know what the difference between them is that in, with revenge, those teeth aren't brushed. Okay. You know, vengeance sounds like so particular. You have oh, to. Oh, is it now? So it's more refined. I love romance and vengeance. Well, look, like for one. It appealed to my goth sensibilities. Sure. It, clearly. Like sure. it was like written and drawn for me. Yeah. The fact that, that Obar when he was doing it was listening to tons of Joy Division and the Cure. Yeah. Again, a 
appeals to me. Like, yeah. how do those things bleed through in a way? That's a beautiful thing. And it's disintegration. Something yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. Absolutely. No, don't even play with me right there. Like, you know, when the first time on. I became a fan of South Park, that's my era, man. Really? Is it? Yeah, that, that, is it? that that is that is when I was becoming really, really deep in the music and wanting right when I was getting my DJ collection together, yeah. I had at the time that music was referred to as new wave. Okay. And I had every new wave album I could get my hands on. Disintegration is the best album ever. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, it, no, it, you know, but beautiful. the cure Depeche mode, I mean, I was a huge Depeche mode fan. I was a huge Pet Shop boys fan. I was, I mean, uh, new order. Yes. All joy division. I mean, those were cores, everything, including Smith's Morrissey, the whole yeah. thing. So what so, I'm saying is it's incredible that that stuff like happened. He was listening to that. He he created this comic out of the tragedy in his own life. And uh, all of that connects with me. Like, I, I identify yeah. with so much of that except for the, the horrible tragedy that inspired him to write that story. Like, that's that's really what I'm saying. Is there's some type of underlying current. There's some universe and, and connection there that I, I, I don't know. I, I just love it. It's okay to love art because you love it. And that's why I love The Crow. I, ever since I, I first turned the first page, oh my god! Mike looks like he's got definitions. Well, I was, look, I was looked up. I looked up vengeance, and okay. one of the things that that jumps out at me here, you know, obviously it says infliction of injury, harm, humiliation, or the like, but it also says violent revenge. Okay, for vengeance. So, so vengeance revenge? is violent revenge. Violent revenge. revenge. Yes. So, so revenge could be psychological. Revenge could be. Monetary, like economical. You took a bite but of my sandwich. I took a bite of your sandwich. Yeah, revenge. Yeah, that's but that's not specifically violent. violent. Right. So under vengeance revenge, would be punching him in the face with the sandwich. Yes. Right. So revenge says to exact punishment or expiation for a wrong on behalf of, especially in the. Well, that sounds much more domesticated. Spirit. Yeah, it sounds, that sounds yes. almost almost nice. It almost sounds Compared conversational. <laughs> oh, Mitch, how how tawdry of you! Uh, I'm <laughs> gonna have my revenge. Would you I like another not. drink? <laughs> yes, I, I I would like another drink. Please. Yes, there you go. Please. It's like you may have a drink, Indeed. but I'm not going to fill the cup. Sir, I've been offended. In the, I, uh, I, I cost you with my glove. Like, would, every, <laughs> would everybody actually like a drink? Because I could get a little more. No, I'm actually good right now. Really, just not even a little splash. See, I'm such an enabler. I am. So I can have another enabler. splash because Charlie tonight brought us Angel Eyes. Angels Envy. Angels Envy. Angels Envy. Angel Eyes. That's a L.A. Guns song. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Angels okay. Envy. Angel Eyes. Everybody else feel like their Push dad just sang a song. Like yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah. You're welcome, son. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so that's why I love the crow because I love vengeance, which is violent revenge. Nice. nice. Those guys got vengeance. what they had coming yeah. to them, and I would and like you to love be the goth look. And I love the goth look. Mm -hmm. yeah, revenge. He would have just having. told on him. He would have been yeah, like, "You did something wrong. These guys need to be arrested." Yeah, go get those guys. You guys learn a lesson. A yeah, very that's not hard a very lesson. interesting comic, but it might be. But I also loved the movie. Yeah, the crow movie. The soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure. Let me guess. Is your favorite scene my favorite scene where he's sitting Probably on top not. of the okay, where he's sitting on top of the the burned out building playing the guitar? Yeah, that's my favorite scene. That's my favorite scene as well. That I absolutely love that scene. It almost made me, you know, I I don't play the guitar. It's one of my favorite, one of my many favorite scenes in that film. It, it made me want to learn to play the guitar, although I never actually followed through with that. You should have followed through <laughs> with that. I, that was I, one of my favorite, like. Solos to learn. Oh, that was a great solo. I thought I was so cool when I learned how to play that. You are so cool for having learned how to yeah. do that. Seriously, I'll that is a great solo. 
Oh, yeah. he brought the bottle. Oh, there you go. Some... Why did he hand it to me? Because you are it's your the, bottle. You are the uh, gatekeeper right now. I don't Angel's own a Envy. bottle of Angel's Envy. So great. That was a gift to you, Mitch. So yes, you, you yes are the, sir. The that is a, a sign of appreciation. And honestly, it was a little bromantic too. I won't lie. I was. Well, I, was I, I I am really I'm really glad to have your friendship, Mitch. I'm glad we're getting along so incredibly well, and I've been having a good time. This is this has been a lot of fun. I'm trying to lock you in for a long term friendship. I'm like Angel's Envy will do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna do it. I can buy his love with alcohol. <laughs> oh yeah. You actually can buy my love with alcohol. And let's begin the show. Let's do the show. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to another uh, thrilling episode of Ruminations from the Red Room. In fact, tonight I think we're actually going to start off with our, our first episode of Revelations from the Red Room. And uh, tonight we are back in the Red Room with uh, a couple of my favorite guys. Go ahead and uh, let's hear who you guys are again one more time. I am Mike, sometimes referred to as Data, though I don't know why. Do we know anybody that calls you? David? I don't, I don't no, know. That was that was a nickname that really didn't stick, and I'm not going to tell you the nickname that did stick. If so. we're going to talk about what we're sometimes known as, my name is Charlie, sometimes called Long Con Hustle, also called <laughs> Asshole. It's true. Asshole seems accurate. to stick. <laughs> I don't exactly know why. I think it's something about my face. And I am your adoring host, Mitch, from the Red Room. I am here to just basically facilitate... The conversations and enjoy the company of my friends. Yeah, Mitch, gives, <laughs> Mitch, Mitch, you give good facilitation. I think, I think you're being a bit yeah. humble there, I hear that Mitch. a little bit. I, I hear that. A, I hear a larger deep facilitation. Role than that. <laughs> I want that. I I want that role, and that's what we're doing. That's the whole point. So here we're, we uh, we were talking about uh, comics earlier this evening. We've been talking about movies and film. We're talking about uh, uh, we delved into a little bit of uh, the nature of a psychosis. <laughs> a little bit. Little Villains bit. and such. Uh, so we're going to switch gears in a very drastic measure. Cool. And uh, let's go ahead and, and, and start it off with, what are we doing? I'm going to give you guys carte That's blanche. That's the fair story. Mike, right I'm going to let you kick it off, man. I'm going to kick it off. I'll pick you back on you. What do you want to know about, let's, about uh, the ribs? Ha- hang on. Give me, let's, let's coordinate this, Mike. Okay. 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 Look, you're bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> Look, don't tell Mitch. You're okay. bad cop. No, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> yeah, you can't hear right now, Mitch. You're bad cop. Bad cop. I'm badder cop. <laughs> There's no good cop. He won't know that. Okay. Who's McLean? Okay. 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 You're McLean. I'm Riggs. <laughs> Jonathan Riggs. Okay. Oh, we're that's no okay. oil and water, baby. You can be Murtaugh. Okay. I fit. It fits. It does. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm you know. Sledgehammer. Do you guys remember that? Joke? Yes. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Sledgehammer. Always talking to his gun. It's a callback. No, so Mike, why don't you kick it off, man? Let's, right. let's do this. So let's, do this. Let's, let's, let's do this. Revelations. Let's, let's, let's delve kind of deep here. Okay, so Mitch, I've known you for quite a while. Yeah. You're a, music, you're a, you're a musician. Music. You love, <laughs> he loves the music, the sound. Uh, you and I had a conversation one time. Okay. About uh, that's very interesting indeed. Uh, whether or not every note that could possibly be played uh-huh. has been played, okay. And mm. you know, I've thought about that. You know, there's new things happening in music all the time. Um, people seem to come out with some new sounds, yeah. So, and, and I just want to know where do you see <laughs> Charlie's unforgiving, man? He's Charlie, not, he's not letting you, he's better cop, cop. God. So, where do you, where do you see? <laughs> Bands like uh, uh, Black Label Society, okay. Ozzy, where do you see them going? 
when you like, say order to, the grave. Well, to the grave, because it's actually all on a timer, man. There's a Ozzie ticking will. clock but at no, this no, point. But no, no, I mean, I mean, like in uh, God far bless Ozzy, by the way. Producing, yes. producing music. Yeah. Um, you know what they what they've been producing so far. Was well, okay. Well, that conversation that we had. I mean, mathematically. Mathematically, like yes. uh, uh, there are there are infinite combinations. I mean, it can it depends on how long the piece is you're talking about. I mean, if we're talking about like a ten minute piece or an hour long piece, the 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 piece of music can become exponentially larger and the variations in that. So every note has been played, but the colors and the passion and the inflection that being a human affects those notes, mm. that is as infinite as the human, as the human soul. So where do they go? I don't know. Did I miss the question? Ozzy, unfortunately, I'm sure we're not. I, I started laughing around. because I thought you were going to like somehow just randomly just go from all that conversation memory to, a fuck Mary kill question and I was gonna lose my shit. Oh <laughs> you're gonna be like so, so based on that conversation, fuck Mary Kill, bum bum bum. Ozzy <laughs> Trump Black Hillary label. Clinton and Ozzy Osbourne. Go. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um it's uh, so Ozzy, Black Label, or Zach Wilde himself. Which was Ozzy, Zach Wilde. Well I would say Black Label, but you're right, Zach Wilde himself. Okay, and then who's my third option? I was I don't know. Ooh, let's see. Um I don't know. You'd have to tell us. I do have a question pertaining to music, top, though. You know what? Who are your top five? Oh, I, I thought we were playing that game. He just force pushed my ass. I, I, he I, totally force pushed you. That was crazy. I, was, I thought we were playing the game. I thought it was gonna. Yeah, gonna I didn't. I was. I said, you should, I'll just kill. throw Hillary Clinton. There well, you go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's your oh, third option. That really oh, threw me off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I now decline. Okay, I now yeah, decline no, to play the game. She doesn't play the game. No. So my question for you about music, if I can piggyback on the conversation you guys once had, is really. So for me, I know when music started to have gravity for me. Okay. Like which was when? Uh I would say it was about eleven, twelve years old. Okay. And it was it became instead of becoming background music or something fun and kitschy that I was kind of singing, you know, instead of it being just about fun and good times, when I was eleven, twelve I discovered a different emotional backing to different music. Okay. And so I, you know, and I would use it as a coping mechanism in my own personal ways. That was my discovery. And it ended up giving me a huge passion for different kinds of music because I was using it as a form of finding things that express what was going on inside. I think it's different for everybody. Mitch, how did you find out? Like, you know, it's almost easy enough to say when Ozzy, like, when did you know? <laughs> you know, but, you know, like what moment did music or was it always like that where there was always it was this always sort of, like that? Yeah. Wow. Okay. It was from from the get go. I mean, as far back as I can recall. Okay. Um, I mean, I was five, six. I mean, it, it was always emotionally impactful to me. It was never like a lot of people like become like attached and they talk a lot about why music from our teenage years has sure. such like an effect on us because it's the time like our our minds are expanding. We got all these hormones and all the, like everyone kind of like likens back or, or rather attaches to their teenage years. That music is particularly powerful to them or, or like 12. Like you're talking about like those preteen years. You know, right. You're, well, you're getting a little sure. bit of hair on your schnapple. <laughs> you know, and and it's like so yeah, yeah for me no it was always a, a, a vital part of who I was and how I expressed so so to me that makes me think of two things spring to mind okay you know whenever you read or hear somebody tell you about like Bach or Mozart sure. right they're sort of the kind of prodigy children who always knew about music and were yes. expressive that way from the get go right mm -hmm. um, 
so that's the first thing that make, jumps into my head. We can go. Yeah, well, I would like to. That's a really good conversation. That. Yeah, let's. But uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, you made a reference there about teens and the music of teens <laughs> yeah. and raging hormones and. It's interesting because I do think it's pretty common for people to add those qualifiers when you're talking about, I was really into Nirvana. You're like, yeah, I was 13. I just got my first boner and I was really pissed at the world and, you know, that kind of shit. But it's, it's funny when we, when we talk about opera, though, and 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 you you, you look you're, at it. Wait, in, you're saying nobody gets a boner for opera? I, I, perhaps they do. <laughs> but my, my point being is is you expect people Freddie to open. So opera is is uh, evidence of refinement, though, right? People grow to understand opera. They they you never hear about like it was rare that you would hear a five year old be like, "I've loved opera from the beginning." Not Pretty Woman. But when you talk about it, there's not there's no such qualifier for for diff, for those particular types of music that are deemed that transcend the uh, need to say. You know, I was 35 and I was really temperamental and pissed off at the world. And <laughs> so fucking, I started listening to Hayden. I started, it like, yeah. <laughs> it really spoke to me and it expressed my torment inside. It, we don't qualify that. And I think for some of us that like yourself from the beginning, me a little bit later, but I think that when you start looking at it where I still care about music in many ways the way that I did, it, that started there, sure. right? And so when I hear, like, if I were just talking to a person I didn't know very well and they were telling me about music that they loved, that they've somehow compartmentalized under all of these qualifiers of, well, I liked it because I was underdeveloped is what they're saying. Right. Dumb, young, angry, whatever. And it's and, and they can sort of lock that away is not something they like anymore. I still go back and revisit songs I like then. I love them now. Right. Who, There's, does, who, who are these people uh, you're talking lot, to uh, oh, that don't like say. what they like then? That, that shows good such for you. lack of strength of character. Good because, for you that you don't know them. But I'm not saying it's a lack of strength of character. I think that they genuinely think. Okay, fine. That, that was a harsh, harsh call on my part. But I don't understand that because when you love, when you're passionate about something, like I don't let that love just fade away. I'm really interested to hear this. this I what? Think, Go on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, just, no, no. I am no, so I was, taken aback by that. I was trying to point like, it more back towards you to kind of give your feedback anyway. I, I, I just think that um, it, it's funny because it will start bending itself back to where we were going about the man baby stuff. <laughs> but it, it, it's also kind of we did kind of speak a little bit about graphic novels and anime. If you are above a certain age and you are going to make an assumption because we don't have any census data to back ourselves up at the moment <laughs> okay but if we were to go door to door in several neighborhoods i mean and we tell them yeah you know well, if we were to go door to door we would probably be arrested, arrested. right yeah. For, but okay. if you True. if if you're on paper as a 41 year old man who likes graphic novels and appreciates uh smells like teen spirit People are going to, you know, people that at the sweetheart dance. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, people are going to be like, uh, he hasn't grown up yet. Or, you know, you have a bone to pick with this because this has come up before. Well, it's like I, not growing up thing. I, I don't like general categorizations like that because I think it sells good people who are just kind of diverse short. And the thing is, is that you don't hear um, you don't hear that other side represented, probably because they want to keep viewers glued to the TV and it kind of lends itself to what the easy critiques of of uh, of people. One of my favorite political lines, the soft bigotry of low expectations, <laughs> you know, uh, and it, it, it does seem like that, though. And that's why I have a bone to pick is 
if you're a 41 year old man who does like those things, that's going to stand out and be judged more than, oh, yeah, I also have a car payment and a house payment and many serious things going on. This is just what I like. Whereas if you like paintings and opera and it, it's it doesn't have the need for those monikers. It's always there's no justification required. For right, well, that's a, that the, that's a that's a that's another tier, right? You've gotten to a point in your life where. I appreciate refined things. Like well, that, let's talk about like know. appreciating refined things. Go ahead, Mike. I was gonna say, uh, even even Mitch has mentioned that you know. Even you, Mitch. You don't even have, I. Even Mitch, Mitch has mentioned that you know these things don't necessarily qualify who we are, but we can like so many different things. You said yourself, you're not just like uh, why do you have to be a video game nerd or like yeah. a movie nerd, but you you appreciate things like cooking and all these different things. I you am an aficionado of life. You are an aficionado of life. Yes, yes indeed. I appreciate this existence. Yes, I do. Yeah, and there's so many different things out there that you can enjoy and appreciate. Sure. My wife, my wife makes fun of me. She's told her friends at work. She's like, "Yeah, I came home the other day and my husband was watching cartoons." Oh, I'm glad that's because what it was. I was watching uh, the Batman animated series. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, it but I guess all I'm all I'm trying but, to say is the reason I have a bone to pick at all, and the reason it ever uh, it will come up repeatedly, has more to do with the idea that those things are as refined from a different perspective as some of, of what is considered. And and I would I would argue that the best justification for that statement is the fact that now it's so mainstream, all of us kids from the eighties who might have gotten a sideways look for spending too much time at a at a comic book stand, are now wielding the the power, like right? The, so that people don't know how to categorize that, right? If you play sports sure. and you're athletic and you're popular, but you really love comics, the comics is like a chink in the fucking armor, right? Nobody nobody stops. Not I wouldn't say nobody. I'm getting dramatic there, but uh, the general person will categorize that as childish or juvenile, and um, I'm not sure that that's entirely. Uh, fair when the mainstream entertainment revenue maker is basically Disney, Marvel, and DC. At this point in time, the, that's what's making Hollywood mm-hmm. the most. All money. right, well, humor me for a second. Let's let's dig into that a little bit. You're talking about like being perceived as being childish or immature. Not me personally. Like, okay, not you. The, you personally. The, like those the, particular. Who are they? Who are those particular? I would. Like, I, I mean, when you about? say you're they, about like the greatest generation, because they're. Um, you're talking about the baby boomers. Well, like, I would they? say it's a reoccurring theme when it comes to judging. There doesn't seem to be a healthy representation from whoever talks about it, as if those people are responsible adults. Do you see what I'm saying? No, I, I really do. That um, is really all my beef is is with the idea that uh, one means the other you know that the, if you watch anything animated if you have any appreciation for you know uh, uh, co- uh animated novels or even if it's the uh, video game to whatever magnitude obviously if you're doing anything so habitually anything that it takes away from your life the problem's not the material right it's it's you you have an you have an addiction issue. You have something you want to be distracted from. It's only in a counselor's therapist sort of environment that that's going to be broached like that, or maybe some talk shows or something do that. But whenever it comes across as a critique against why people are thirty years old, if you're listening to commenters that are what forties, fifties, that's not the greatest generation. 
Why? Oh, no, I know, I know. Yeah, but but those are the those are where it. those are those voices that are coming in saying the reason that these entitled kids are thirty years old and living with their parents and playing video games in the basement. You know, they it's because we coddled them too much, and you know they they kind of immediately go to these derogatory moments and I, th I would argue that it's similar to how they want to try to frame marijuana users as well you know if you do that you're this kid this is that yeah, yeah this means that and 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 of course if you are sophisticated enough to have a career and to do whatever is considered adult but you do play video games and or smoke weed uh, you're gonna be pigeonholed by those two items because they're not congruent with what is considered to be an upstanding, responsible adult. And I, I, I don't think that's backed by anything other than uh, a lot of, you know, assumed ideas of like the games are corrosive. It's not the games, man, you know, and, and it's the person. Well, first, first, I would say this sounds like we're getting into ruminations. He started asking me questions I and I started going on it. I'm yeah. sorry, it's my nature. I, yeah, I, no, no. I, I am very much and an great interviewer. Like, yeah. I want to know what's second, going on. Second, I would say that uh, Mr. Glass looked at comic books as a viable art form and was offended when somebody just wanted to buy something for his child. And I see, them, I see comics in a sense in that same way. I love the artwork in comics, which was part of what drew me to them. And I, I over the years, you know, as new artists have come along, I've, I've gotten uh, an appreciation for what they can do. Alex Ross being one of them, uh, like I said, Dave McKean with, with. Uh, what about Jim Lee? Well, Jim Lee like, was what? one of my Jim Lee was one of my like favorites. Incredible. Um, there was another artist that came out in the '90s, uh, Jay Lee, who had a really interesting art style. I really, really loved, and he didn't come from a background of like doing comic book art. He came from a background of doing like architecture and well, stuff. And, okay. and his artwork was phenomenal. I loved it. Um, the what did lines, he do? Like, what, what kind of works? Well, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm of guessing what he was drawing from Marvel. He <laughs> was drawing from Marvel at the time, and yeah. then of course, you know, when the the revolution happened and all those artists like fled Marvel and and uh, started their own companies and stuff. Uh, I don't remember whether or not Jay Lee actually left Marvel or whether he stayed with them. Okay. But his lines were always very sharp, kind of jagged. Um, he drew kind of like longer lines, um, but it was a beautiful look. I loved it. I really well, appreciated it. So, but going back I, to uh, Revelations, uh, <laughs> I, I actually I actually had a question for Mitch that I wanted. Well, to Well, that's ask that's a while what I want. If you if you don't uh, mind, regarding though, the music, dude. you know, you said you started at a young age. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> and I was curious as to what was it that got you started? Was it, was there somebody who got you started? Well, he said it was oh, always that way from the very yeah. beginning. Yeah, it was always so that way. But far back it, I know. That's really where I was trying to build that. back to was the opera statement and Mozart and Bach being from the origin. When you started asking questions about those monikers and qualifiers, I was trying to build it back to how you felt about that being that it affected you from the beginning. And I was also trying to challenge you with the fact that you were making those qualifiers yourself as a, as not as you describing it, but intuitively you were describing that age of 11, 12, and you know you were kind of going into that same thing that I do as well, that everybody does when they start saying, well, uh, it was this music and the adolescent years and motions and no, I'm hormones. I'm saying that that's what and, a lot of yeah. people will, will fall back well, on. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I'm saying is you were clearly aware of that too. Okay. Whoever they is, right? Whoever they are. You, you know it's well, no, in the look, zeitgeist. I mean, I, look, see, you know, and you how did that affect in, you? Well, no, so, we yeah. took this off into a lot of different, a lot of different places, and I, I, I think at the core of some of these things that you have the bone to pick with and some of the stuff that Mike's saying here, 
um, as far as like appreciating art, so like, oh, I like really love that work. We're talking about like generational cultural changes and shifts. The paradigm has gone from raise your like grow up, go to high school, go to college, get a get married, have a family, have a career, and once you're once you've done those things, and this has come up in the previous podcasts, then you're an adult. Then you put away childish things. When I was a child, I think as a child, I thought as a child, whatever. And then when I became a man, I put away childish things. That is an a, an old and at this point now outdated paradigm. Sure. Well, I mean, we have now grown. How old is ju- don't judge a book by its cover? I feel like the greatest general, whoever it is that learned that for That's the last two hundred years, so just doesn't that keep that in mind. Up with it. We're you know finally, what I mean? We're finally to the point where. Don't judge a book by its cover. By its cover is has come to fruition. Is what you're is what, is I, what I'm you're saying. saying? I, I'm suggesting that if they would have thought more like that as part of their algorithm for judging <laughs> the world, if that's in there, that would cause a person to stop and go, well, you know. And like another thing pops into my head, like a good movie, you'll go back and watch it as you age, and you'll get a different experience, or you'll appreciate course, a different role. Of course. I think the same is true for all of these stories. And I think that's why you're seeing movies like Logan what be what it is and do so well so long after the character started in, in the Fox film, the Fox original films. I think you, you really have uh, uh, more of a representation that people who saw those things when that material was young and they were young and they got older and they went back and revisited that material were like, oh, man. I can see some of this internal struggle and this is something I couldn't really have identified with at 15 that I, after really being through some shit, I really okay, I get that. That's what, like, you know, for, for like people though, I see like that's the, represented. That's no, right. absolutely. Yeah. I, I get that. But like, for example, my mother, for example, right. as an example, right. like I'm sure that those identifying moments with characters and things happen, but right. she was taught to put that away. Right. Now I'm an adult. I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. Whether or not they were identifying with it anymore or not, they they were not allowed to embrace those things. Like yeah, that was not that was frowned upon. Kind yeah. of like a, now, genera- a generational thing. Then. Yeah, I'm saying that it's generational, but that it, it existed, but was not allowed to happen. It was not allowed to. It was frowned upon. Yeah, it was definitely frowned upon. So right. much so that it was like shut out. Oblique lives, just yeah. like not good. And we're living longer. Some of us, I mean, the way that I drink, maybe not. But you know we're living longer and we're we're staying young longer and I think that might have something to do with like the digital age we live in, like I can I can young physically young mentally young both okay like, we're okay. staying younger longer physically mentally, uh like there's no, at this point there's no break or loss in pop popular culture there like for example like let's say um in in 1980 I'm listening to the Doors, which at that point is. 10 years done Jim died sure <clears throat> that's just 10 years and that seems like it's really old now it's 2017 and I'm listening to Def Leppard that's 30 years old right and still feels vital and it's still I can bring that up or call it up or buy it on iTunes any day I want right so I'm just saying that the, that uh, there are a lot of factors that play into what you're talking about that well, I think it's interesting because the, you can find a lot of examples of how it's 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 interesting in terms of the history of like in culture in general like political cartoons have been around sure for a very long time since politics it's right and so <laughs> but it's animation that is speaking in often ways uh, satirical comedic fashion to deliver a point sure 
And it's just, I find a, I get troubled. The reason it's such a bone to pick for me is the thought process bothers me. It's not even that I'm trying to defend some little guy. It's more like that thinking is flawed. Oh, it's absolutely on flawed. so many levels, and and it, it that's what gets me about it is that overgeneralization. And you can ask Mike. I know you haven't spent the hours with hearing me wax on about stuff like this. It's always the overgeneralization that I'm troubled with that I sure. want to speak up against because I think if you're supposed to pay attention to the details if you if you're going to judge someone, in my opinion. I don't no, think it's should. fair to b- just broadly cast somebody, and people do it all the time. Yeah, and they do it because it's easy, and they do it because they're busy. I get that they have their reasons, but it doesn't make it right. And I think you know, so you might be misunderstanding. Like, I don't have a problem with the bone that you're picking. Oh no, I don't think you do. Okay, yeah, cool. I, no, no, I want to no. make sure that that's clear. No, no, I think we're I both we're, we're both refining our. Yeah, yes. I I don't think that at all. I'm with no. you on that entire. I agree. I was I, just I wanting to make sure I didn't sound like I was like the little guy. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I actually am completely with you. I'm yeah. just I'm I'm pulling out what you're saying and I'm digesting it and I'm trying to like process it's it for savory. my own life. It's the touch of sweet. Full sugar. One of the things <laughs> one of the things that I thought about when you were this when you were talking about this is and I got this a lot working at GameStop and stuff. People come in, you know, bitch about the fact that like, oh, I thought these games were for, aren't these games for kids? And I used to tell them I'm like the average age of a gamer is twenty three. And it's been going up and ever since. it's been since. going up ever since. Right. Like, all these kids, all of us, who started playing, like, Mario and, like, Legend of Zelda and stuff back in the day, we grew up and we're still playing these things. It's a bad mo- It's a bad name. Game Game is too broad of a term mm-hmm. to encompass, like, Call of Duty <laughs> and, <laughs> and Civilization well, VI, right, you know? Right. Fair. It, it, Fair. You know, you're, you're talking about... And, and once you start talking in nerd speak from the nerdium, <laughs> people just sort of the get nerdium, detached, like you know. They don't hear it. We broke that mold you know? years ago, this idea that games were for kids. Yeah. That mold has been broken. Well, we did, people, but, uh, but you and I may have. The general populace at large still hasn't seemed to have embraced it. Really? And I don't know. It, it well, might be nowadays. So nowadays things are, are changing a bit, but I'm, back when I was working for GameStop and I used to get that question all the time, you know, well, I buy games for, for kids. Yeah. They are for kids. There are well, you some, still run into that. You're always going to run into these pockets of like, you ignorance. Are, you, you are. But, and, and one of the things, that, uh, an underlying theme throughout the podcast that the three of us have participated in thus far is this idea that molds don't encompass everybody and shouldn't encompass everybody. Yeah. And we should do away with this idea of molds and this idea that you know one mold fits everybody, but because we, we, we know, and I think I feel fortunate that we know that contradictions that, that need to be, like so kind of, I hear you and I agree with you and don't disagree about anything you just said. I, I'm just trying to get to a point where I can s- make the suggestion that it's okay for an adult to play Candy Crush. <laughs> For five minutes or or to see major commercials yeah. with Arnold Schwarzenegger about these simple isometric real time strategy games where you can play people on your phone. Those are not you're not going to be looked at if you're in a suit in an elevator, you're headed Playing to a Candy meeting and, and you're like, it. oh, the legend to 86 or whatever that commercial is. Right. Right. That's that's not considered to be the same kind of thing as if when you turn on your television and you turn on your Xbox and you sit in the chair in front of it. You've just entered geekdom, right? right? So the to some people in the world, that's not as acceptable as, oh, I'm just playing Tetris. Oh, I'm just playing Solitaire. 
oh, I'm just playing Farmville. I love the, how they can make a distinction. You know, and that's <laughs> that's what I get interested yeah. in, and that's what I like to find. It, and if somebody did make that kind of uh, a comment, I would e- really quickly want to go. You ever play solitaire? Yeah, and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, I spend so much time on solitaire. Really. Really? That that game sucks, man. (laughs) You got no fucking taste. You're either stupid or lazy or or both. both. And you're going to judge me, bro, because I'm present. Have board games ever enjoyed that same stigma that like video games seem to? They do. Board games are even worse, man. If you you might as well be. Well, you're talking about like board games, like traditional family board games. No, just if you say you like board games, right? People who like to play. you know, video games. taboo. You don't hear people who are big taboo fans going, <laughs> "Yeah, I like really love board games." I love games. that buzzer, man. The buzzer for taboo. <laughs> yeah. I love board buzz. games. No, but I mean, you play board games. You play Catan yeah. and worse. You know, you uh, Pandemic. Uh, right, right. You we know those pandemic. kinds oh, of you games. Guys have told me about that. Those are they're yeah. fun games. I like. People misunderstand that there there is a great ability to build some unique moments and friendships when you just kind of put a hobby in the middle of it. Yeah. It could be hunting or it could be podcasting or podcasting. or <laughs> settlers of Catan. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's it's anything. And it's just um, I, I just don't really do well with those that, you know, there's to me, it represents someone who wants to categorize you for their own reasons. It's got nothing to do with the game. It's got sure. nothing to do with anything else. They want to f- they want to pigeonhole that person as less than because they they very carefully articulated their own little world and molding. You don't fit in it. You're not with the popular kids, yeah. you know. And and I just I like that sort of uh, that to me represents a challenge, but it's a semantic one, not one of I'm going to defend my character. It's more like I'm going to show you why your thinking is really why ridiculous yeah. here. I mean, it doesn't hold any water, you know. And and that's that's all I'm well motivated great. by. Really. And I really enjoy that's that. my fact, bone. To pick. I love that. I lo- <laughs> You, you make it sound like I had a problem with your bone to pick. No, no, I no. I love no. the bone to pick. I, I felt do. the need to explain it yeah, to the I audience. Need to explain it to the audience. They're not even there. <laughs> I wanted to describe my bone to the audience. Yeah, well, it's well, it uh, a nice so, bone. So let's, let's, I've re- fleshed let's out reveal my bone. Then. Let's reveal oh, my then, God. Mitch, because you're, you're that a gamer. Fleshy bone. You used to be a gamer. <laughs> I used to be a gamer. That's right. So wow. what was your favorite video Ouch. game? What? Why is that out? Used to be a gamer? No, I used to be. I used to be a gamer. There was a time when I... You don't game anymore? No. Really? No. Never? No, never I wouldn't ever. say never. I mean, what? You know, con- like, how many hours do you have to log before you're a gamer? Well, that's a see. Now we're getting semantic. You want to like play with like some minutia? Like, <laughs> like, I'm just asking. <laughs> how many sure hours is. equals a gamer? Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, really, Mike. What's that mean? What do you mean? I used well, to be I a gamer. You, Tell me about you that. You used to play games on a more regular basis. Okay. That. Okay. Because you and I have had this discussion about, and this probably stems from the fact that we worked for sure. Know, Video game companies for so long selling video games, and we got to the point where we were, and and this is your term, video game tasters. Okay, yeah. That where is we my would term. sample a video game. Game sommeliers. Yes. We would we would play for. Mm, a this few Call hours, of Duty has a nice woody accent. But never actually finish the game. This one rests on the palette like That's a little right. bit of Activision so, produces. You know, as a video game taster oui, oui, oui. and a former video gamer, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, what was your favorite video game? Uh, <laughs> I've, well, how about can I give can I give you a top? Yeah. Three? Top, how, why don't we do this? Because this is one of my favorite movies, and I know it's one of Charlie's too. Uh, top five. Top five. Mm-hmm. What What's one of your favorite movies? High Fidelity. 
Oh, I love that movie. The book Good is movie. fantastic. Yeah. Did you guys read that shit? I did not read not the book. Oh, book. We, yeah. Um, Nick. Uh, really, Nick? That's thanks. <laughs> what? No, I, I can't think. Of, I can't think of the guy's last name. No, no okay. it's a it's a really good book. I will have to um, look that up. Cause but I, I did re- I did see the movie before I saw before I read the book. Yeah, okay. but it, it was really good. The so book top, was a lot darker. Five. It was a it was a it was kind of a a little bit more moody, a little bit more brooding. Gotcha. And the movie was pretty broody if you looked at it. But um, top five: um, Virtual Fighter, Bomberman, uh, Panzer Dragoon as a series, Resident Evil, Tomb Raider. Nice. Wow, okay. that was really quick and easy. Yeah. Yeah. Like because that. I'm not a gamer anymore, it's really easy to like <laughs> isolate. Yeah, pretty. It's the only good. stuff that I enjoy anymore. Well done, well done. That's, I like that's that. Pretty good, yeah. Quick, yeah. easy list. I love. It. I love the fact that Virtua Fighter is at the top. Well, I got to play to my audience. No pandering, no pandering. That's not pandering. I'm just saying, like that's Doi, of course Mike. you can't Doi. you can't think that that doesn't like. Uh, you know, color my immediate thought process. Like I've got these two virtual True. fighter champions in the in the room, <laughs> and yeah, so like of course well, I'm gonna lean that way. Yeah, one of us more than the other. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that, Charlie. Way to go, You're better a big cop. man to admit that. <laughs> so, Mike, right. go on. Yeah, what's oh, your five? Top five. My top five. Okay, so I, I would definitely have to go with virtual fighter. Okay. Absolute favorite fighting game. Um, the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Okay. Uh, Red Dead Redemption. Um, let me think here. Top five. Hmm. Mass Effect. And then uh, Mass Effect. Mass Effect. I love Mass Effect. Wow. Um, that one then, caught me by surprise too. And then as a series, I would have to go with Resident Evil. Okay. Resident love Resident Evil. Evil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's nice. Nice. How about you, Charlie? What are your thoughts? I about? do not like games. I think they're See money. You okay, liar. Yeah. <laughs> liar. <laughs> liar. I feel that anyone over the age of 17 who plays games need be uh, euthanized. Uh, yeah, no, I, um, uh, of course, Virtua Fighter, uh, probably the first game I really became obsessed with. Um, I have to say the original Half-Life because it just flipped me upside down as to what was possible as far as how to tell a story in a in a very uh, cinematic way and i think it it revolutionized the 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 visual representation of reality was pushed to another level with their well origin. i didn't know we could give explanations as we I, went. Yeah, I, I thought i was just giving a list uh, my next yeah. one would be uh home world on oh. the pc uh, again i like story i like well-written well-voice acted games that are choreographed to make you feel like you're part of a story. Um, I think that that's where I lose interest in some games. Um, and then uh, Operation Flashpoint, I thought was an incredibly deep uh, tactical open world game that um, I really appreciated for a lot of reasons and ended up turning into the Arma series, which is widely celebrated and acclaimed. Uh, I'm going to say something between the original Deus Ex because I was more of a PC gamer uh, I also liked Out of This World on the Sega Genesis. Um, uh, if, if For those who really want to totally geek out, the first RPG, two RPGs if that blew my mind and that I loved on the Sega Master System and then the Genesis, there was a game called Zillion, which was incredible and beyond difficult, but it was sort of a sci-fi setting that was being... It wasn't very popular because Zelda was huge. And then after that, uh, there was a game on 
It wasn't flashback. It was on Genesis. Oh, uh, Shining Force. Everybody was into fantasy, uh, Final Shining Fantasy. Force? Oh, absolutely. And I was, I the got. Shining series as a whole. The, like, yeah. All those games are great. I loved Shining Force. Yeah. Um, that was the first game I ever played that, that gave me the ability to name my characters. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, you had to, it almost played like a comic book, you know, because it would show the script before there were voices and it had that really bad 8-bit theme music you know just just on a loop what did you name you know? your hero the first time around do you remember i, I, I don't remember the mail lato i like La- you remember Lado? the Lado? dude oh, wow. yeah dude not lato i was like nice. oh i can name my character i love that Lado. part of it yeah and yeah so the games that those games that got cerebral either in challenging the player are games that got cerebral in the way they told the story i got yes. i got sucked all right i'm gonna mm-hmm. throw a curveball here yeah throw it right. in there one of my favorite phrases that I think holds true and I'd like to get some feedback on is when I don't remember who said it. I don't remember where I heard it. So I, it's totally not mine. I, I hear the drum but roll. I, I, I love the statement that inside every old person is a very surprised young person. Because <laughs> I, I, I like, I mean, we've, we've well, I already we've, feel that I'm not a very not, old person, but I'm sure older, right well, but now. and I'm feeling a little shocked right now. But so, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, so we're at a place where we've covered a lot of stuff. We've talked about the nature of comic books, how some people might see it, games, etc. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk a little existential. If we're talking about revelations, right? Well, that would be a rumination. Well, uh, why, like a rumination what's been revealed now. to you about being where you're at? And do you feel like inside of you there's a surprise 20-year-old who still likes comics? No, I don't feel like that uh, inside of me there's a surprise 20-year-old. I feel that I am still that 20-year-old. Right. I, there's okay. no like internal, like external. like There has been no uh, cutoff point that I imagined there would be. I had no transitional, like existential uh, revelation or shocking shift from childhood to like young adulthood to being middle-aged. I'm do you find that to be guy. like, do, so is that satisfying? Is that a, cause I find that I agree with you. I have had the same experience yeah. Yeah. and I find it reassuring. It's reassuring. And, and <laughs> like, it, it, no, it's reassuring. Yeah. But in, in like the dark, quiet moments of the night, it's kind of horrifying. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because at, uh, you know, yeah, no, no, I get you late, late in the game. Whenever that day may come, if I still feel like I do now and I'm still the same guy inside, like I will rail, rage against that dying of the light. Right, like right. That'll be horrific. Like if you're like 85 and you're done and you're about ready to pack it in anyway, sure. and you feel that age, you feel it. I could, I could go quietly. But hmm. if I, if I'm right now, if I'm me, at, at that age or whatever it be, oh, there's gonna be some cursing. So that's what I think the phrase means. Really, yeah. I do. I do think that that statement of inside every old person. If you put it in the perspective of an eighty-year-old man, inside that eighty-year-old man, you're very well maybe right. There like, is shit, a I am gonna die. There is a twenty-year-old going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> oh my god. Um, I, you know, I. Uh, Thanks for bringing it down to earth, Charlie. Well, I think it's interesting because of the things that we like, and I think there's a way for us to sort of embody that badge in a mature, refined way. Sure. I like refinement. We've talked about it. Um, but I think it's a good life goal and you can see it in cultures through history to cultivate your life in such a manner that when it does come time to go, that it's, it's not, 
you're ready. And I don't know if it has anything to do with feeling. Well, here's what I'm going to do to get feeling ready. aged. Yeah. You know, I think it's going to be about being aware of what's arbitrary and what's authentic and yeah. valuable. And you know, well, uh, music is authentic know. and valuable to me. Right. So right. when I get when I get ready to go, I'm going to try and cut. I'm going to go media blackout. From, you know, as, <laughs> as soon as I can, so looking into the future, so that because like right now, if I were to go tomorrow, I'd be like, God damn it! I wanted to see the Last Jedi. Oh Shit. yeah, like, I do not want to. I do oh, not want to be waiting for something. That'll right. be horrible. God. Right. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's you're right. How I feel. As long as the Last Jedi comes out, as long as I get to it. see it, then I'm good. Right. Or if I get to you know see, let's see what else am I waiting for. Uh, so you want to go yeah. right at. <laughs> yes. I'm then just done. check me out. I'm, I'm done. done. Yeah, pack it up. That's so funny. as far as as far as that that quote and that question there, Charlie, for me, you know, I, I agree with Mitch. I don't feel any different now than I did when I was twenty. You know, I don't I don't look back and go, Oh my god, I see oh those those points, those highlights, this this represents this. But I do I am surprised looking back, um, that I have kids and they live. <laughs> We're I all kept surprised. them alive this long. It's, oh, that's, no, it's, me, it's shocking surprise. to all of us. Yeah, I know. It <laughs> yeah. should be. We, it should, yeah. it's a we good marvel thing. at it. Good thing I had help because otherwise it probably wouldn't yeah. have happened. So. Well, but so that's kind of where I want to direct the question is, you know, the things when we're talking about uh, our perspective on movies and the product of a film and mm -hmm. Mike's going into the depth of his deep vault of comic book knowledge, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you, you don't really – get a chance to understand that, you know, Mike as a person has a job, responsibilities, a concrete slab for a pool filter that he poured incorrectly. Uh, <laughs> you know, a couple of kids at home, he has to make sure get to school and fed and uh, a home, like a mortgage payment. And, you know, those are the things that uh, I, I, I think are interesting about people is that you've got a grown ass man doing grown ass man things that loves comic books and understands them and appreciates them in a way that you would really be hard pressed to find a 10 or 15 year old kid that could do it. And I think like many great movies or any great story, uh, you know, you get to perceive it a little differently as you get older you know, whether we're you talking right where I wanted to go, you know, you, you, you fucking Homer in the Iliad, you know, it's like, oh, it's such a great piece of work, you know, but Stan Lee gets written off because, you know, it, people, it, it, the material lends itself to being made fun of by people who consider themselves more adult than you. Yeah. You know, and and that's that's really the exception I take is not anything other than that's the stupidest shit that you could <laughs> that your brain has got a problem you're you're missing some steps you know your yeah. your part code of, part is of off the success of these films and some of these things we've been talking the about del tree some that, of your like, files is that like people <laughs> like me have grown up we have kids and we want to share these experiences with our kids right like my youngest one okay. addison uh she is my partner in crime when it comes to movies like she and i go see all these movies mm. and you know sometimes some of the other kids are interested in it too they go see it you know if they're not i don't force them but she loves these things. So she, she goes with me to all of these movies to see them. And she absolutely loves them. And, you know, we talk about the history. I give her a little bit of history lessons on where some <laughs> of these characters came from. And, and she absolutely loves it. Yeah, right. So, you know, it's interesting that, like, that these studios have tapped into that. And I think that's why some of these things have endured is because, like, we talked about, like, the average age of a gamer. These gamers grew up. They have families. They're making money. They're 
you know, they're the ones consuming these products and they're sharing it with their own progeny. Sure. And, you know, I agree with you. I think, I think when you, without trying not to get back into that last topic, I think kind of pertaining to where I'm coming from as far as, you know, being where I'm at now, I, I definitely think that I'm a different person. I have some, I have the same likes, uh, but I appreciate them differently than I did before. I think that's so a good So there's definitely right, yeah. a difference uh, in me, and there's a lot more real-world gravity to it. And I, I require a little more from the people who write these stories. I want, I want them to grow with me, mm-hmm. and, and, I, sure. and that would be about the only thing I could say when I find myself moving on from something I used to like. It's more that I've, I don't have a new way to appreciate it anymore. You know, like I've grown beyond maybe the range of what that story might have encompassed. Doesn't mean I appreciate it less, but there's some stories that, like, you know, uh, I'm not. I'm obviously not watching Speed Racer on a loop anymore. I've grown beyond the the depth of the material. I'm not getting new lessons in life lessons. Yeah, but from like Trixie. you mentioned earlier, like as we as we age and as we go through different experiences, some of the material means new things. To but that's yeah, that's my personal experience. Lens. I'm yeah. just qualifying by saying sure. me per- yeah. specifically, yeah. not I've reached that age, right? I'm just saying for me specifically, that's what, it. Doesn't yeah. give me anything. There may be people that it does, and I don't begrudge that. Yeah, good. Maybe I can learn something. I'm more interested in why somebody appreciates what they appreciate then I am just going to stamp them with being more uh, evolved than me. Because if somebody likes opera and I like comic books, I kind of want to ask them, so what is it specifically? And just like with you, Mitch. What, what, what floats your boat about that? Why, well, why does that blow your skirt up? Like, because I think that. perception... No, no, I'm saying that's what you asked the opera guy because you're into comics. Yeah, yeah, no, yes. Because yeah. that's, that's part of what all this is. I am genuinely what makes you you what, what makes you you let me see your core programming let's see you know and it's all about that's kind of where i was going at with the music thing with you mitch you know when you were saying it's been like that from the beginning i don't know how to identify with that me personally what i find interesting about that statement is when i was five i didn't really make a an attachment to maybe i was more typical of a kid maybe i didn't in that particular way i wasn't as stimulated by music as i was visual sure you know, so like uh, I remember I, I, I was upset about getting a shot in my butt and uh, and I was like crying, pissed off, angry because I got uh, in some sort of tetanus shot or something and I was pissed off about it. And um, my mom sat me down in front of the TV and started playing a video cassette of Sergeant Pepper's Only Heart Club Band. Wow. And I don't remember short of the last song where the guy comes down in gold playing the trumpet and singing get back to where you once belong um that part i remember the song you know because it's really easy to remember it's on a loop it's not really a complicated tune but what i remembered was the outfits the crazy things going on on the screen that's what i remembered that's what i was drawn to that's what i was interested in at the time the visual representation of that stuff and that probably carries true about the old movies, Superman and stuff. I saw Superman, <laughs> guy, cape, fly. Got to get a cape. That means I can fly. I got to fly. Right. You know, and it's, I mean, that's sort of where I was visually. But hearing someone say from the beginning that first things that come to my mind are great musicians that you hear people talk about. Mozart, Bach. Oh, I'm way more, I'm way more uh, Solieri. Like, I, I wow. was never the... God. Nice. Uh, no, I was never my the nipples prodigy. just got hard. You just said Solieri's <laughs> nipple hard word. You know, I, like I, those guys, I I was never that guy. I kind of relate to Mitch a little bit. I was the same way as a young child. 
music. Can't just let him have that one, huh? No, no, I can't. Okay, here it goes. I wasn't anything like it, Mitch. I think you're a unique creature. Thanks, man. I like being unique with you. Doesn't mean he's any less unique. Except for being exactly like Mike. No, it's similar. This is actually like that. How Mike and Mitch are similar program. Like, you oh, adopted. We're, we're both brown. We're both adopted, and we both mm-hmm. love music from a young age. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Are we the same guy? Are you related? Are we? Am I doing uh, voices? Are you related to? Are you doing voices? We're really the same. You know what? We're are probably we? we're probably just people in his head, and he is. That psychotic. would be a cool story. That, that is pretty cool fascinating. That would be character. pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. Do a podcast with yourself here, Charlie. <laughs> no, but I think that's an interesting point of of you. Somebody in the audience is going to be thinking about what motivated you to do the show. And in many cases, when we're talking about this, you're like, yeah, that's what this is, you know, and you're asking about, well, I said source code, but, you know, it's about giving <laughs> nerd. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about seeing what, what people, so, yeah, yeah. you know, what motivated them to be what they are. And I think that that's all I'm at. That's all I would like to see more of. And, and podcast long interview forum, it does that really well because conversations like this aren't had as often as they used to be. People have so much more shit to do in the moment. Yeah, I know that's that part they of don't that's, they that don't sit there and chit chat. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, and, and, and explore I, it, do thought experiments. No, they don't. And I we we've talked about. It. I've had like the uh, critical uh, or again constructive criticisms of like, well, if you want it to get an audience, you're gonna have to do this. You should focus on that. And I don't know that there's gonna be an audience. I'm not too concerned with it because the conversations don't happen. Maybe someone will hear it. That's right. Great. Maybe right. it'll mean something. That's what I take the show to be so far. The small parts of it that I've been a part of um I, I think it's you know you give a person a forum you gave me a forum to sort of talk about my story and things that happened and qualifying an, a complex individual i think we're far more complex as person to person than maybe we give ourselves credit for or give each other credit for and i think it's cool to nurture the rationale that maybe it's worth to taking a few minutes <laughs> um, not only just to listen to yeah. a podcast about these people that maybe you'll never meet, but it might change the way people approach their own friendships and ask certain questions or maybe don't judge as harshly, you know, and, and then it might also be something that fuels an advocacy of someone who might have otherwise jumped on the bandwagon or or critique somebody a little hastily. You know, you might hear, I wish I could know, be less judgmental. I mean, that's honestly like part of. One of the things I, w- I want to work on. You say like, maybe it'll encourage someone to be less, uh, you know, critical. Like, you know what's funny about that statement? I am so though, freaking judgmental. You you say that you're judgmental, I and I've known you for a long time, and you are judgmental sure about am. certain things. That was just the end of the conversation. <laughs> I just want to say you think of yourself as judgmental. I've known you for a long time, and you are. <laughs> and no, let's move you're on. You're correct. However, however, when when you deal with people on an individual basis, yeah. you lose that. You, you do away with that uh, uh, judge, judgmentalism. I don't know how to say it. You're not as judgmental as you as you think you are. When when it comes to judging society, yeah, when Mitch, it comes you're, to judging, you're wrong about you. Mitch. When it comes to judging, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, like certain certain like overarching themes, perhaps you you are judgmental about those things. Sure, but on an individual ba- on an individual basis, when you deal with people. You are not judgmental at all. I'm judgmental. <laughs> well, you know You're he's dealing judgmental. with a, he's yeah. dealing with two people right now. It's true. So you've been a judgmental prick the entire show. Me, <laughs> I have. That's right. Basically, what I've Mike's been t- quietly sitting here. You guys don't. Mike's know trying to send <laughs> tell you that you should apologize. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. I could see, I could see the quiet judgment in your eyes, <laughs> and it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. It cuts to the quick. Music from the beginning. 
how the fuck does that work? Like, you know, like when did it become you're three years old and you're just like swinging around the room, <laughs> snapping your fingers and shit like to rhythm. Like I would looked at you at three snapping your fingers like what is, this what is happening? Yeah. yeah. Like I I'd barely get over like walking and shit at that point. Right. I was like on my big wheel. I think I'd be like all over little things like that when you were rhythm. Because I always sang. You had rhythm. I always sang songs. I That's was always awesome. making up songs. I was always, whatever it was, it was always came back to that. Like, it was always just there. It was innate in me. It's because my people were very rhythmic people. We, 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 beat, we beat war drums. If you talk to any of those boys out on the res, man, they're into metal. So <laughs> that's what we do. Well, so but yeah. like, when did did you did you notice a particular emotional shift when in your like since it was from the beginning? Mm -hmm. I don't assume that there was that intensity of a pre like you weren't liking uh, Leonard Skinner at four. <laughs> no, like you were like no. Freebird. What is it? Yeah, play that. I like the Kool Aid Man yeah. and Freebird. Yeah. Yeah. Who were who were you listening to at an early age? At an early age? Yeah. Like, um, and when I said from the beginning, I don't go back as far as three. I think that would be. Folly. Well, you, you said five before. You're like five or six years old. Okay. Saying, well, I'm saying. Michael Jackson. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah, like okay. Billy Jean, yeah. original. That would be more like what or I was about. Or PYT. You're talking like uh, well, Rock With eight, You, PYT. Seven, eight years old. Like, okay. No, like uh, From the Wall or whatever that, that album Yeah, that's, was, that's, like, that's, like, that's the same one. Yeah. No, no, it's on Thriller. Don't, don't, don't. What? Rock With You? PYT? Oh, Rock With You. Okay, yeah. But yeah, so I'm sorry. I was still in the PYT because... Yeah, working day and night was the yeah. one that I remember when I was a kid. The like, and I, that was like right there with Cool and the Gang celebration for me. I remember those songs. So that stuff, and and I have like the, the tapes of me, making up songs, like that's how I communicated, like, um, and, wow. and, and, and in fact, it, there's like a little snippet on the the the. the podcast with my sisters like the my little i can do it if i try song like i had right. from the time i was a child like anything that i was trying to accomplish was done to music that's great like and that's just how it always was i just at the beginning i kind of had this image of you being like a you know f like the first acoustic guitar you ever touched at six no like five minutes like I, later i like, was no prodigy bling 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 no, and I i'm those six guys. years old no Bing, bling, 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 bling. <laughs> you know, I got potty trained. Gonna have a podcast someday. <laughs> you know, and like, when did it? When did my it be first band? Like, when did it become? Uh, uh, like, what was there a shift, or had you always had such a diverse? Like, if it had rhythm and it had sound, you were into it, or was there a moment where you were like, this is categorically more hardcore? Like and I'm not so maybe it wasn't Ozzy maybe it was Pink Floyd or maybe it was an older band that that you were like I didn't know I liked this harder rock well, I guess well, I'm, beat I'm, versus when what did you the, when did like. it get heavier well, yeah because you're saying at five you you know you're, you're listening to songs that generally sound a little bit happier yeah a little bit upbeat sure you know your good time I I kind of relate to that okay. um it took a long time before I got into and, and I had things going on that made me want to seek out music yeah. like that. What drew you there? To the heavier stuff? Yeah. The heavier stuff actually started, I would say, probably around eight. And I don't know, okay, I'm going to have to qualify that because when, <laughs> when I tell you, you're going to be like, um, Mitch. Right. No, but um, the Journey Frontiers album, there's a like a, a heavy guitar riff in. Uh, I can see it. It might no, be yeah. uh, Separate Ways. Mm -hmm. But damn, that was like, okay, that's. Oh, what yeah. I oh, I yeah. Like, no, no, no. Separate Ways. Yeah, no, I got you. you. Know what I'm talking about? So that's, that's probably when. And then as I got older. Obviously, I started. That is a that is stuff. a good guitar riff. It is. That's when I, that's when I identified with it. 
And then when I decided to actually pick it up, that's yeah. a different point too. Like when I decided I need to. What age did you decide you needed to, uh, to start playing? When I needed to actually start playing, uh, probably around that age, that 12, that's 12 cool. 13 years old, yeah. uh, when I heard uh, Metallica's Fade to Black. Ooh. And there's oh a yeah. crescendo where the, the guitar solo leads up to it, and, and Habit hits like this note that just screams. I was like, oh my God, I got to do that. I was a late bloomer. Yeah, I, I was like, a late bloomer to Metallica. The so first, I would say the first, like, uh, I mean, I like music from Van Halen, but I like Jump. Sure. Or, oh, I love uh, that. Yeah. yeah. Like Living in Paradise. You <laughs> know, like, a little more poppy. Yeah, poppy right. stuff. I mean, yeah. Obviously, I like the, the, that kind of music, but I'd say probably Guns N' Roses was the first, like, anything rock that I was like, wow. Whoa. You know, I was late to the Metallica thing. I had listened to Pink Floyd, but really felt. I don't know. I just they didn't have that same. Uh, I didn't look at them the same way. Yeah. You know, a- Axl Rose was the one who was out there. Just cr- for me, that was like, wow, these guys are geniuses, <laughs> and I normally don't get drawn to this kind of music. Nineteen eighty eight. I asked my, I asked Santa for uh, the new Poison album, which opened up and say, ah, had that like right. devil on the front with the big long tongue. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. And uh, my mom would not buy that for Santa would not right. deliver that <laughs> because it because of the scary devil. Right. Instead, right. I got Guns N' Roses' appetite for destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Very good choice. Yeah. And even at the time, I was like, uh, <laughs> but nice. yeah, that's uh, yeah, that was a uh, quite a difference. Poison to, to Guns N' Roses. I love that album. That's one of the best albums of all time. I I say. Like, See, I was gonna appetite. say for me, I think my introduction to like heavier stuff was had to have been Iron Maiden. Huh. You have uh, like uh, um, like Murders in the Rue Morgue. Uh-huh. Um, of course, like Alexander the Great. You know, Rolling Us a Long Distance Runner, and that was like you know later and everything, but. But they had a lot of songs like that were like that. Run to the Hills, even yeah. talking about like Indians getting slaughtered and stuff and running to the hills. Uh, that was, I loved the fact that they were telling stories, very intricate stories, not only with the words, but with the music. And I loved the fact that they were not so just many baby, changes. baby, I love you, way. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. It was like an actual story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then the, and then just the change up in the music, you know, because one song could have several different changes. Yeah, I came back to I, that stuff. I, I wasn't. I loved it. I was on a different planet. I didn't really, uh, and I, you know, had no awareness until I came back to it later. Mm-hmm. You know, I was clearly way off on the other side. I, mean, I got caught up in the club DJ area, and I, that's all the music I went to. You know, uh, everything with but the see, dance. But that's beat. just like two different, like, sides to the same coin. I mean, yeah, yeah, it, yeah it, right. right. That's cool, and, and then that I got to much later myself, and that wraps up what was a double episode essentially of from the red room which i think we would have renamed resonance uh not a revelation considering it was mostly uh how a lot of those pieces resonated with us listening to a bunch of guys talk about the things they love and some of the things they don't love quite so much this is mitch proctor from the red room good night